0: Bleeding Kansas, it's a series of violent confrontations uh, that occurred in the thin Nebraska Territory uh, starting in 1854. Now what's particularly interesting about this series of events and how that bleeds not only into uh, kind of the historical significance of, of slavery and political party formations in the history of the United States but that it also serves as an example of the dangers of direct democracy. Now, Bleeding Kansas was the result uh, specifically of uh, the understanding of popular sovereignty, which was a euphemistic term, uh, kind of a repackaged way to push for a pure, direct vote uh, to determine whether territories would be... uh, (laughs) free or slave upon entering the Union as a state, uh, but ultimately became an argument opposed to any restrictions of slavery uh, in the territories. And what's remarkable about this uh, is it really, really powerfully evidences the ideological shift, especially, well, specifically at this point, uh, in the Democratic Party, uh, as to the understanding of what slavery was, Uh, If you recall from prior episodes, slavery was considered a necessary evil. Uh, It was transplanted there by Britain. It was meant to be restricted by the federal government, uh, specifically into new territories, and was otherwise, in a course, set to its ultimate extinction. Uh, Every clause of the Constitution was designed that way. Now, fast forward less than 100 years and you have a radical transformation of this a rejection of these ideas and the uh, adoption of calhounism uh, rampant in the democratic party so what ultimately happened is you had the formation of uh, t- really just two primary groups you had the free staters uh, which as you might <laughs> might guess were those people opposed to Uh, slavery. Now, within that group, there were two, there were abolitionists, and then uh, those who reflected more of the ideals of the free stater, Uh, but more generally were anti-slavery. And then you had the border ruffians. Uh, These were Democrat operatives, uh, generally out of Missouri, uh, led and organized and funded by extremely uh, important Democrat politicians in Missouri, and even in the federal government. So the term for Bleeding Kansas is, it describes this series of really guerrilla warfare between these two groups in a kind of a, a frontier setting. Uh, but ma- what makes it particularly interesting, however, uh, is that it wasn't just two groups of, uh, we'll say, uncivilized kind of uh, you know, conflicting ideologies here. One, the free staters, were organic and genuine. And the other, uh, the border ruffians, uh, while definitely possessing a a grassroots kind of effort for their foot soldiers, uh, received received the sanction and the blessing uh, of Democrats in power, including Stephen Douglas uh, and the president at the time, uh, Franklin Pierce. So Bleeding Kansas is, can be understood as a, a series of different events. But in order to kind of, I guess, expand really on the uh, culmination of things to this, uh, we, you have the 1850 Compromise, the 1820 Compromise, a series of political and physical conflicts uh, that deeply impacted uh, events up to here, which some of those events will be addressed independently as well. Uh, Specifically the uh, attempts at slave expansionism uh, by the Democrat Party And also uh, kind of the rewritten history of the Haitian Revolution and the Nat Turner tragedy But Henry Seward, who was one of uh, the most outspoken abolitionists uh, in the federal government at the time uh, He remarked upon the 1854 Act And he said, I quote, come on then gentlemen of the slave states since there is no escaping your challenge i accept it in behalf of the cause of freedom we will engage in competition for the virgin soil of kansas and god give the victory to the side which is stronger in numbers as it is in right it was understood uh, at the local state and obviously here at the federal level that kansas was now going to be a battlefield of sorts uh, it is generally considered to be a precursor uh, to the Civil War, primarily because the conflicts divided along the same ideological lines. And the conflict was also severe enough that it didn't actually end until the secession of the Democrat slave states uh, in 1861. Uh, upon them leaving, uh, the Union government, Uh, they were no longer there, obviously, to oppose the admittance of Kansas, uh, which was ultimately accepted in as a free state. Now, one of the more interesting figures that really came to prominence during Bleeding Kansas uh, was a man named uh, John Brown, sometimes referred to as Old Brown or Captain John Brown. Uh, he'll be addressed in a separate episode. Uh, he, there is a lot of mythology that surrounds him, uh, but it's a, a very particular kind. It focuses on a very small portion of his life, uh, and so w- we'll definitely clarify those uh, in a later episode. Uh, as a kind of a foil to Henry Seward above, and it's a way to really kind of, I guess, illuminate the ideological purpose of the uh, border ruffians. There's a man named uh, Stringfellow who called himself sometimes General Stringfellow, though he had no such rank. Uh, he was a, a, one of the Missouri leaders of the uh, border ruffians. And he said, and I quote, I tell you to mark every scoundrel that is in the least tainted with free soilism or abolitionism and exterminate him. Neither give nor take quarter from the damned rascals. I propose to mark them in this house, and on the present occasion, so you may crush them out. To those who have qualms of conscience as to violating laws, state, or national, the crisis has arrived when such impositions must be disregarded, as your rights and property are in danger, and I advise one and all to enter every election district in Kansas in defiance of Reader and his vile Myrmidons and vote at the point of the bowie knife and the revolver. Neither give or take quarter, as our cause demands it. It is enough that the slaveholding interest wills it, from which there is no appeal. Why this quote is so important when understanding uh, not just bleeding Kansas, but the overall pro-slavery ideology that come to uh, the, well, to prominence and dominance in the Democrat Party at this time, uh, is he's placing the right to own human slaves as something that is divine, that is above the Constitution and above the law. Now, this has several elements to it. Uh, The first is its clear rejection of the founding doctrine, its clear rejection of the Constitution. Uh, Once once pro-slavery advocates realized that there really was no argument that could be phrased in defense of slavery through the founding, it became essential to... Uh, either distance themselves from the founding and reject it or uh, kind of rewrite and and besmirch it or as he articulates here to place slavery as some type of strange holy institution uh, placed above all others and of course this is uh, predicated largely although i doubt uh, stringfellow realized it uh, on the idea of natural rights but as we've also already explored uh there can be no argument made in the right of property to another human being. So that's your, really your two waging sides. And the divide was so severe that it also manifested itself politically. Uh, in the Kansas, uh, Nebraska territory, uh, there were two different constitutions formed. There were two different state legislatures, uh, and it wasn't uncommon for two men to meet on the road and then shoot each other to death. Uh, if they were of opposing factions. Now, one of the most important things to understand about this, too, uh, going back to this popular democracy, uh, we were warned, if you recall from episode 14 on popular sovereignty, we were warned by the founders, and not just founders, but by the (laughs) totality of human experience and history, about the absolute dangers of a direct democracy, and Bleeding Kansas demonstrates this very clearly. Uh, it's weak to fraud, which is which was was rampant at the time. We'll cover a few instances of that as well. And it's also exceptionally vulnerable to violence and coercion, and intimidation, and I would argue also to uh, propaganda uh, which is something we're seeing uh, more so in our present day, a fulfillment of some of these. Uh, cautions that were put forward by the founders uh, as well. As soon as it was established that a mob rule mentality was going to dominate Kansas politics, well, you naturally had then the evolution of mob rule, which carried to its uh, kind of logical extension here, uh, results in warring factions, Uh, specifically because there really is no political recourse if all the other person has to do is have one more vote than you. So in this case, uh, the right to enslave human beings uh, is just a matter of 50 plus 1. There is, And of course, that obviously ignores any sense of the founding doctrine and its, it's deep belief on inalienable rights uh, that are untouchable uh, by man uh, or nature, and especially by government. Now, fraud was just a normal thing. In Kansas It was about as About as common as the uh, Kind of arbitrary executions Shootings, violence, burnings, arsons uh, And that kind of thing Now the, the Lecompton Constitution Uh Formed first uh, And it It was a Pro-slavery constitution uh, In fact it Had several articles contained in it Specifically to Protect uh slavery from any potential laws, legislation, uh, government acts, or the other. Now when the frauds come into place, uh, I'll give just a couple of the the bigger examples here. Uh, There is an instance of something called the Oxford fraud. So Oxford was a very small little township uh, with 40 residents at the time in the Kansas Territory. And when all the votes were tallied from this region, and this is going to sound a little familiar for the present times, uh, there were 1,628 votes cast. And it just so happens that uh, virtually all of those votes were cast in favor of adopting the pro-slavery Lecompton Constitution. You know, wonders will never cease. Upon further investigation, it was discovered that these fraudulent names were actually copied uh, in order from a directory in cincinnati ohio complete with the spelling errors uh, so somebody sat down with some ballots and in what would have been a phone book before a phone book existed and just started jotting down names and s- voting for the pro-slavery constitution uh there is a, another interesting little deal popped up this time it was called a uh, Calhoun's candle box. Now this this is another John Calhoun, but this is not the same one. Uh, he's not the fire eater, he's not the uh, you know the, the progenitor of Calhounism. This is another Democrat named John Calhoun, and tons of of uh, ballots were discovered buried under a woodpile in boxes that are generally meant uh, to transport candles. Uh, hence, Calhoun's candle box and it should be noted as well that they were discovered outside of his office now uh, now, John Calhoun uh, was, was no little, no little uh, political operator in Kansas at the time uh, he was a Democrat and he was put into his position uh, by Democrat uh, President Franklin Pierce at the urging of Stephen Douglas yet another uh, formative and powerful uh, Senate Democrat And he was put there for that exact purpose. It was to uh, do whatever he could uh, for the democratic purpose of spreading and protecting slavery into new territory. Uh, Evidence by Stringfellow earlier, uh, compared to voting with revolvers and bowie knives, uh, fraudulent votes seems to be the uh, gentler of the the options. Uh, Although they they work together just fine. Uh, Now, despite this fraud... Uh, Kansas eventually ended up adopting uh, the Wyandotte Constitution, which was a leg- legitimate document uh, voted on by free staters. Uh, now, naturally, southern, southern newspapers and politicians, and again, Stephen Douglas uh, brings this up in his debates uh, with uh, Abraham Lincoln later on, uh, claims that the Lecompton Constitution was actually the real one, and that the Wyandotte was unconstitutional. Now it's interesting because they claim that the Wyandotte Constitution was un, was illegal because essentially it did not support the right of men to own slaves. And of course we can say stay conf, confidently here that there is no such right that exists uh, because it's the theft of self-ownership. So through natural rights theory and the founding doctrine uh, it is irreconcilable. Now, what's what's truly interesting about uh, kind of the intrigue surrounding the Kansas-Nebraska Act, kind of bleeding Kansas in general, is at the time, the arguments for popular sovereignty uh, sought to hijack kind of that weird uh, human reflex to assume that if majority of people believe something, it must be the correct thing, which obviously flies in the face of human experience. Uh, But regardless of this uh, this kind of pension here, uh, there was an amendment brought forward for the Kansas-Nebraska Act, and that amendment was to specify that upon voting to enter the Union as a free state, that Kansas could indeed choose to outlaw slavery. That amendment was defeated by Democrats. It was eliminated, not just tabled. Uh, it was voted down completely. And the reason for that is quite simple. While the Democrats constantly touted that this was a, a just and moral and, and correct way to let a territory decide on the slave issue, that was just packaging. It was meant to provide them a way to implement fraud and abuse and violence to get what they were looking for, which was another slave territory and two more senators uh, on behalf of the Democrat Calhounist cause. And that that evidences it perfectly. And uh, I do believe that amendment was brought forward again by Henry Seward uh, just as a way to force them to acknowledge that that was indeed the point. And we can see that manifest very... uh, Very openly in the Lecompton Constitution, so under the whole the whole idea that well we'll let the people vote and decide if they want to be a slave territory or a slave state or not. But the Lecompton Constitution put in specific protections for slavery, so in effect, it preempted any type of vote by protecting uh, slavery in numerous uh, sections of the uh, of the Constitution. Uh, most name, or most specific, of course, is Section 1 that reads, The right of property is before and higher than any constitutional sanction, and the right of the owner of a slave to such slave and its increase, its children, is the same, and as inviolable as the right of the owner of any property whatsoever. So this is just a, a recapitulation uh, of the arguments presented uh, first by Southerners and later by just Democrats as they uh, formed. Uh, that slaves are property and the rights of property uh, is higher than the Constitution, which uh, is inaccurate uh, in a a number of ways, uh, not the least of which being its its direct contradiction to the theory of natural rights uh, and to the understanding of the uh, supremacy of the Constitution in American government. But regardless, it falls along the same lines. The point was to spread slavery, to add new slave territories and new slave states, uh, in the long term, uh, the idea was to uh, safeguard slavery even in free states. Now, to the defense of Stephen Douglas uh, in this particular instance, he didn't approve uh, largely the Lecompton Constitution uh, because there was a, uh, another kind of political ploy at work here uh, where the population requirement for entering the Union as a slave state was about one third of that of entering the union as a free state and douglas to his great credit and credit where it is due uh, despite being pro-slavery he understood this was a disgusting and overt abuse Uh, and he he preferred uh, the clandestine kinds of constitutional abuses and political subterfuge so he did openly resist uh, the lecompton constitution uh, not because uh, free staters were being murdered in their homes or entire towns were being burned down, but because of a numbers game. So that kind of sets the stage for Bleeding Kansas. Uh, again, it was a series of violent confrontations uh, that took place between 1854 and 1861 and really only ended uh, with the secession of southern states. Uh, and with them, of course, their senators and congressmen who could no longer obstruct the entrance of a free state into the Union, uh, contradictory to their hopes of adding more slave territory, and thus more political power on the side of slavery. Uh, now, uh, a great uh, and often uh, controversial historical figure uh, arose during this time in John Brown, and John Brown, we will uh, we will introduce ourselves well to this man and get to know him a little better uh, in the next episode, and maybe do a little purification of his uh, reputation in the process.